there are days where I feel like maybe Elon is trying to ruin my life. But really, it's been interesting both as a social media user and an enthusiast. So like, I love Twitter. I love TikTok. I use LinkedIn. I haven't been on Facebook. So I've got my own sort of patterns. And then just seeing how tech writ large and then specifically the social sort of companies have been through it (laughs) the last few years. Hi, welcome back to SaaS Half Full, the only show serving B2B SaaS marketers. I'm Lindsay Groper, president of Blast Media. And as always, I will be both your host and bartender today. I'm speaking with Carrie Carlson, who is the VP of operations at Leadtail. We have had the pleasure of partnering with Leadtail. They do social media for B2B brands. So they're on the back end executing. I work with a lot of SaaS companies and boy, oh boy, the world of social media has been popping off the last six months between Twitter going to X and the launch of threads and even LinkedIn having some new features. Look at LinkedIn. Uh, there's been a lot to talk about. So we figured it'd be great to bring Carrie on and talk about the changes that we're seeing, recommendations that she has. So for those of you who have social media under your purview, whether that is working with an external agency or that's a team that you have internally, this is the episode for you. So if you care to, grab a drink or a mocktail and join me as I speak with Carrie from Leadtail. Hey, Carrie, welcome to SAS Half Full. Thank you. How's it going? It is going well. It is a Monday, which I just had to remind myself as I was grabbing my glass of red wine that I'm starting this thing on Monday. Are you joining me for a drink today? I am. I've got the uh, easy breezy mocktail because here on the West Coast, it is just before noon. So got to keep it business-like. Um, well, I'm glad we're getting a chance to talk. Carrie is the VP of operations at Leadtail, and I'll allow you to say what Leadtail does, but we've had the pleasure of partnering with Leadtail at Blast Media, and Carrie knows all things is the source on social media. Now, I feel like sometimes over the years, social media, not a whole lot of things happen. There aren't like, you know, major announcements or disruptors. The main platform is just sort of doing their thing. But wow, wow. The last 12 months, things are happening. So when my colleague Katie and I were talking about just sort of upcoming guests and things that we should tackle, social media came up and there's just been a lot of changes. And if other marketers or anything like me have not been keeping up to date on everything, and there's a lot of differences of opinion. So wanted to hear it from you and get your opinion on all things social. But before we do that, Carrie, want to give our listeners a quick rundown of who you are and how you got to VP of Ops at Leadtail, through what that path looked like. And then, of course, please tell us what Leadtail does. Sure. I'll do it in a reverse order, I think, which is Leadtail. We're a B2B social media agency. We focus exclusively on B2B clients. And of course, that means a large portion of those are overlapping with uh, the same kinds of companies that you help over at Blast, which is to say growth companies, young companies, SaaS companies in large part, though we do have a handful of folks out of the sort of healthcare side or life sciences. But oftentimes those are going to be SaaS platforms that are servicing a particular industry. So we have a sort of shared interest in the dynamics and the underlying sort of business climate that these folks exist in and how to help them. Your social media agency, you are the voice, the people behind these brands. You are executing their social media channels on the back end, coming up with strategy. Talk a little bit more specifically about what you're doing. Sure, that's correct. So we have... 
typically in the neighborhood of 30-ish clients at any given time. And for those clients, we're doing some portion of, almost all of them we're doing the day-to-day, just sort of managing the strategy, what's going out on the feed. But we also do audience research. We also do some influencer and other kinds of outreach. So whether that's ahead of a major event or for maybe a preview to a product launch. So doing some outreach via social to connect with folks in the community. We also do some paid social, uh, mostly to support clients that are maybe make it worthwhile to have their own dedicated paid social agency, but don't want to necessarily roll up their paid social just with their regular Google ad spend. Really, we try to think about, you know, social media holistically for B2B companies. And we think that audience research, the outreach piece, the paid and the organic sort of strategy make up the bulk of what that looks like. Perfect. Thank you. And what was your path to get here? I come out of a a startup background. So when I joined tech, it was sort of the late 90s and we were all going to be millionaires before we were 30. And I was like, sign me up. I did happen into though a really enjoyable and, you know, relative to the jobs I held outside of tech, you know, working in retail or being in the military, a pretty lucrative career. And I've been able to sort of just keep swimming upstream from my first role as a software QA engineer to sort of all the PM jobs. So sort of a project manager, a program manager, product marketing, and eventually just made the cut over to marketing via some early form of customer success, but really sort of found that I had reached a point in my career where I was very comfortable working with internal teams. I was very comfortable with, you know, how to get software developed and shipped and managed and how to grow an audience, but I was lacking on the outward facing uh, sort of skill set. And so I bet a lot of folks sort of find that they've been able to sort of scream up the ranks and get to director level. And then you kind of get stuck because you don't have customer facing or you can't bring people from the ecosystem into the company, et cetera. So I uh, made a switch to get more customer facing. Ultimately, after the last startup that I worked at, I met my co-founder here at Leadtail and decided to strike out on our own, try to help marketers in a, in a different way. We've been doing that now uh, over 10 years. We have seen the, the sort of the landscape and seen it change and can recognize and help uh, hopefully put the context around the changes we're seeing now relative to, say, the last decade on yeah. social. There has been a lot going on. How would you describe the last six months in the world of social media? Very dynamic <laughs> in PG terms. There are days where I feel like maybe Elon is trying to ruin my life. But really, it's been interesting both as a social media user and an enthusiast. So like I, I love Twitter. I love TikTok. I use LinkedIn. I haven't been on Facebook. So I've got my own sort of patterns. And then just seeing how tech writ large and then specifically the social sort of companies have been through it <laughs> the last few years, the last six months actually feel like things are starting to settle enough that you can see a little bit. Like if I think about, you know, the classic, like a jar of muddy water and you shake it up, I would say a year ago, it was completely opaque. You really were like, what is going to happen here? (laughs) But now it's, it's starting to settle itself out. And the truth is, you know, for all of the seeming surprise and, and, you know, what will he do next? uh, I think we're starting to see that Twitter is going to do what they need to do in alignment with their business goals and their 
objectives and their stakeholders. And that means they're really not that different than every other platform. So we can kind of put aside the noise and the fury and all of the day-to-day sort of attention getting when it comes down to like, what are we going to do? It's actually fairly predictable. You know, that platform, as all the platforms are going to continue to evolve in the direction that supports their business objectives. There's nothing wrong with that inherently. It's all kind of in the uh, how you do it and who you want to be left standing when it's over. So sure. now we we are continuing to refer to Twitter as Twitter. Identifying <laughs> and replace Twitter with X in all your your documents and your SOPs and all the things. Not yet. I think we're we're gearing up to it. I think September is the month we're going to have to say, okay, this is going to stick. And that has been honestly, you know, one of the things that we had to figure out ourselves is from the very beginning, when it was clear that the ownership was going to change hands, what do we do? How do we advise clients? What is going to be the approach? And so for us, we really decided early on to take a wait and see approach at the beginning. When there's a new change announced, let's see if it's an announcement of a change or it's an actual change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when the actual change hits, let's give that a minute and see if it bakes in, if it sticks. And once it does, then we can kind of move in it. Like there's really no imperative to be way out in front. You can just give it a second. You know, most B2B SaaS companies when it comes to, you know, your presence on X or Twitter, <laughs> whatever you would like to call it, you can give it a second. You don't have to react to every single change that's right. announced, you can wait to see it materialize and make a judgment there. Good advice. And we'll we'll stick with X for a minute. What are you advising your clients today? You know, changes have happened and you, if you feel like that sediment is starting to go to the bottom. Is it still pretty much business as usual on that platform? You know, it depends. Most of our clients are seeing sort of steady or improved metrics in terms of their reach, in terms of their engagement. So some of those changes are having the intended effect of bringing people back who maybe had sort of left the platform or had never really been heavily engaged, and then also having them engage with more content while they're on the platform. So those things on the whole tend to be tracking or actually slightly improving. We didn't see any major drop off for reach or engagement for clients who didn't sign up to become verified accounts, but we generally would recommend for most of our clients. Again, it's been clear now from the leadership and the changes over the last six months that every new thing and everything that's of high value on the platform is going to migrate behind a paywall. So to get verified for, you know, $80 a year or under $100 a year, it's kind of a no-brainer in the the scheme of things. You know, why would you not want to have the tools to be successful? If you're going to be on the platform and you're going to have goals around what that's going to deliver for you, $8 a month is, is a reasonable cost to make sure you have access to all of the tools available to do that. Okay, so listeners, those of you that have not yet verified your profiles and social files under your purview... Here he is saying, do the thing. Uh, so you can put that as a little action item coming out of this episode. Okay, I want to talk about threads. I am, I'm going to admit it here, Carrie, I have not said this out loud, but I never joined. I would have joined and then likely been like all the millions of others who then never re-logged back in. That The curiosity just wasn't there for me. And uh, I'm saying that and admitting it, but wanted to get your take. Tell us what threads is, first of all. 
And then just your take on it. I know it's new. So this is all just based on what you're seeing so far, but what value B2B companies can glean from it. Yeah. So Threads is essentially a Twitter clone that was launched by Instagram. And so essentially short text messages, threaded messages per the name, but it was really kind of a throwback to the old way of Twitter. And in a way, you know, I think it was a real sort of, I am of the opinion that it was really a PR coup for Facebook or, again, I'm just not up to uh, brand standards here, Meta, to launch that at this moment where Twitter users were sort of experiencing massive amounts of annoyance with the current ownership regime. And so they really were able to do something. I think that was really smart from a PR standpoint. I think it was really smart. They've got this audience of millions of users on Instagram that they were able to just kind of funnel into this new app um, with relatively little spend and a relatively low list. And then you saw sort of the exhaust from all these things, which was a flurry of articles about how Threads was the first social platform to reach 10 million users, and it did it so fast. And I think the other thing it did really quickly, this might be a record, is within three days, it went from everybody signing up for Threads, this is probably the one that's finally going to kill Twitter, to nobody's coming back to Threads. (laughs) I don't think this is going to kill Twitter. Was it even smart for them to launch it? Just like the cynicism cycle in absolute overdrive from mass hysteria that it's available to mass dismissal that like nobody's there. And fundamentally, I question whether the core users of Instagram were the same people who really wanted an old school Twitter. But again, from a PR standpoint, when we see that, you know, two founders are like literally engaged in a verbal, if not yet a physical cage match, um, that was a solid hit. You know, they get lots of chances to re-engage that audience. That's the thing is no one's going to go, well, I signed up for threads, but I didn't use it. So I guess I'll quit Instagram. Like there's really little downside risk for, for Meta in this at all. Basically, they can continue to now have a foil for every time that Twitter does something that angers another segment of their users they can say, hey, remember us? We're over here and we keep getting better. So they're committed in a sense that it's not going to go away. But I think the story is far from over. Have you incorporated threads as a channel that you're managing for your clients? If the answer is yes, can you tell us how you've been seeing that successful? Not so much yet. I think we're mostly at the discussion stage and where folks have said they're interested. It's really either a, can we mirror what we're already doing for X or can we start to place some bets on threads? One of the really interesting things that was part of that announcement was at least a hand-waving intention to someday bring together all of these other federated versions of Twitter clones, essentially all of the mastodons. And that's kind of really interesting. There's a real argument to be made that that is where social media is going instead of the sort of Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook troika that we have had for about a decade, that things are going to sort of atomize and go into lots and lots and lots of smaller communities, lots of more niche communities, smaller groups of people who can be governed more effectively by one set of community standards. It's not terribly surprising to find that you cannot literally create a a town square for the whole world and have everybody agree to the same set of rules. Right. 
So nature will sort of sort itself out. Uh, but I think that that's a, a really interesting idea as the first one who can really say, I've got a plausible <laughs> theory of how to create a connection between all these federated communities will be interesting to users and will also, I think, bring uh, brands back to the table. You know, that's, that's the kind of brand catnip <laughs> that says I can get users and advertisers on board here with this plan. Yeah, I wrote that down that you see a place in time where these are all atomized into more niche communities with their own set of roles. I like that. You mentioned Mastodon. Talk to us about what that is, how that model differs, and if that is something that you're using, leveraging, managing for your clients. Sure. So we have a couple clients who have a more active presence on Mastodon, and that is another sort of Twitter clone. It's based on open source software, so anyone can download the software, set up a server, and run it, and essentially have their own Twitter and set the community standards and decide some of the key factors of how that community is open or closed to other Mastodon-based communities. So it just, again, starts to chart a course for those more niche communities to interact in a style that's similar to Twitter, mm -hmm. but without essentially having to do so in a big, broad, open community where they uh, are also exposed to a bunch of other things that sure. they don't want to see in their feed. Sure, absolutely. And with uh, Mastodon, how are users finding out about those specific Mastodon communities? Do you, do you have to be invited? Some you do, some you don't. So when you sign up, you can sort of choose which Mastodon server you want to sign up to. It's honestly pretty convoluted, I think, for the average person. Yeah. It's probably something where, you know, if you've got someone who likes that kind of stuff, give it to them. Or if you have an agency partner, ask them to help you out and get situated. I would say, you know, one of the things that we're thinking about a lot along that same line of thought, which is, you know, we're going to go from having sort of check the box on these three networks and just call it a day to bringing back into the fold a number of social networks that are a lot larger than you might think in terms mm -hmm. of monthly users. I mean, it's easy to forget in a B2B context that Pinterest has 40 million monthly right. active users. Right. TikTok has, you know, a, like a billion users. Right. These are huge platforms that have been kind of off the radar. So I think we need to start thinking about how are we going to make choices about where a brand shows up what is the downside if you don't go on a new platform and sort of lock down the namespace for your brand? What are your options in terms of, okay, you've got a profile on this web, on this site, on this network. Do you now have to post there every day? Do you have to monitor the inbox there every day? I think there's some choices to be made here where we can say, you know, I want to be present on several of these communities. I want to be able to be found. If someone's looking for us, I want them to find us. And my theory is always just leave a note, basically leave a post there that says, hey, you found us. We're super excited that you were looking for us. We are not here. Here's where you can find us. Right. Here's the website. We're on LinkedIn. If you want to, you know, subscribe to our podcast, whatever it is. But I'm really surprised. And Facebook is a good model here at how many Facebook pages just stop. They're posting, they're posting. And then whoever was posting just gets laid off, yep. stops being incentivized to do so. 
And there's no kind of tying it off and leaving it in a good place. So there's these new concerns that really haven't been a major thing that we've had to contend with for a long time about sort of, you know, what do you do when a new social network pops up overnight? What do you do when you've got a YouTube account and it's lost to time and history? Who has the login? We're back to a lot of these things that we just haven't really seen a lot of in in recent years, but we're seeing a lot of it in the last, say, six months. That is a great reminder. We fell victim to this in one of our long and forgotten social channels. No one knew the login. I mean, we're like, who the hell was managing this? Oh, no. Uh, (laughs) We said we needed to put something up there like, we exist, we're alive, just not here. And if you are no longer active, it's okay, but direct folks to a place that you are, because we definitely fell victim to that. A password vault, because, you know, a lot of times just the nature of these things are the founders set up those first accounts and it's sort of attached to their phone and all these kinds of things that even before you reach the, oh, no, nobody can get into this account, you're going to run into like you're blowing up the founder's phone in a weird time zone because uh, two-factor authentication is attached to their phone. So just making a little vault inside of your password manager that says, this is where we keep all the passwords to the social properties. This is a standard email inbox that we are going to use to sign up for all of these so that we can minimize the likelihood of the zombie accounts that nobody can get into. I had the CMO of Grin on the show a couple months ago. It's an influencer management platform. And, you know, he was talking about B2B and the making the case for being on all these platforms. And one of the things he said is that there used to be sort of these work platforms and then play platforms. Mm-hmm. And today they're all mixed together. B2B brands think, well, TikTok is for play. Then he was just talking about how it's not. I mean, it's not the case. It is, it is the place where people are going for professional information and to kill time and for fun. And so that there absolutely is a place for B2B on TikTok. Talk to us a little bit about the successes that you've seen and how you recommend B2B brands play on TikTok because it can not work well and it can be not authentic if not done the right way. So what is the the best approach to that? Yeah, and I would say, you know, for most of our clients, we are still in sort of early days there. And part of it is I think we've only really just crossed this threshold from, you know, TikTok is for kids and irrelevant to B2B to, hey, I think there might be something here. And then we run into, like you said, all of the rationale of why we either can't get started or we don't have the resources or show me more data that says it makes sense. So a couple things that I think are interesting to think about there is one, there's no question that video content is going to only increase in value and importance in, you know, from this point forward for the foreseeable future. I'm fairly confident that when sidebar, one of the things that happens when you hang out in the industry long enough is you start to recognize the cycles and the patterns. And so if I think back to the link farms of old that happened when search engines became the dominant way that people found things online, all of a sudden there were all these garbage websites that were nothing but links, just feeding links. They were like, oh, search engines like links? Here's some links. We're going to have a similar thing happen with all of the AI sort of co-pilot tools out there. And so a blog post as a point in space and time, you're going to have increasing levels of like, well, who wrote it? Where is it from? Did a computer write this? Is this valid? Is this accurate? Is this trustworthy? Is this recent? All the problems we have with content we discover via search 
and then some. Putting aside sort of deep fakes and those kinds of things, video content is going to be a better way to showcase that you have real people who have real expertise and are actually able to converse with you about it, share that knowledge or answer your questions. So you're going to have to make video content, no question. And then it comes down to, well, TikTok and YouTube Shorts are part of this newer paradigm where we're kind of eschewing the notion of you have to build an audience first to say, we're really going to make the content the thing that is going to drive the distribution. And so everybody has an equal shot. You know, it's kind of the revisiting of the premise of social. Everybody is on a level playing field. Shoot your shot, <laughs> make your content. I think from a content strategy standpoint, you know, this is back to like, what are you going to do on a platform? Are you going to create content to be distributed on that platform? Are you going to focus on engaging with people who are already creating content in that space and being part of the conversation that's happening around that? Are you going to go build an audience? Are you going to do paid programs? Those things will drive the particulars of what kind of content you want to use or create, but you will have to sort of think through that up front. And then the last thing I would say here that's being driven by TikTok and YouTube shorts is we're all pretty familiar at this point with, you know, YouTube creators and Instagram influencers. But I think there's a bit of a trend happening for B2B where we really haven't seen an explosion of B2B content creators. So the truth is, like many things, again, you've seen it before, B2C just gets there faster. There's a bigger supply of people who can create content about things that are relevant for B2B. It is harder to come up with something that is funny and catchy about project management software than it is about soft drinks. Like, that's just reality. Yeah. But we're going to get there. And so thinking about those creators who you like and who sort of speak to something uh, adjacent to your business, or thinking about who inside of your organization you're interested in, and willing to sort of deputize and let them create content on behalf of the brand. And I think that's going to start to filter through in a big way over the next couple of years. I think if you're trying to get a marketing job at a B2B SaaS company over the next five years, if you have a YouTube channel you can point them to, if you have a TikTok channel you can point them to where you can show your ability to make this kind of content, that is going to be a huge differentiator for you. Totally agree. And the last platform that we haven't talked about that, you know, everybody loves, but thinks it's dinosaur and not sexy and can't really do anything cool. LinkedIn, dear place in my heart, LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. It's probably the platform I'm on the most, but it's so rarely talked about. Specifically, it's like a place for influencers, but it's starting to evolve, even the platform itself, but even the types of content that people are putting on LinkedIn, it is, you know, the default, that's the place for B2B brands. But what are you seeing from LinkedIn, um, whether that's new or maybe there's underused features that we all should know about that we're not leveraging that we could be doing to, to have LinkedIn be more powerful for all of us? Yeah, I would say, first of all, there was an article that really was talking about another article in Bloomberg that had said, hey, LinkedIn is cool now. And I think the universal response was, no, <laughs> LinkedIn is many things. <laughs> I don't think we're going to go so far as to say LinkedIn is cool. But it did make an interesting point that said, you know, like so many things that once you make this tremendous shift where a lot of people, you know, are now working virtually just any semblance of that line that you really had, that bright line between like work me and home me, like 
that's pretty much obliterated for a lot of people. And then you have other sort of industry factors, right? You've got 100,000 plus laid off tech workers in the last 12 months. You've got the other two major platforms engaged in, you know, theoretical cage matches. And so LinkedIn has really had an opening here and in typical LinkedIn fashion made absolutely no hurry (laughs) to run into the gap and go, we're here to save you. They were like, oh, we'll get there. It's all right. Yeah. So we're still here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think things that have happened on LinkedIn that are interesting and valuable, I would say right now, the most valuable thing folks can be doing that are probably still underutilized are the newsletters. So you can run a LinkedIn newsletter from your company page. And I think they actually just did some enhancements recently that you can now manage multiple newsletters, I think up to five. And those are really great because, you know, you build your email list and as soon as people leave their job, they've got a new email and you have to go through this whole process of sort of acquiring them again, but you don't start a new LinkedIn profile. You're never going to start a new LinkedIn profile. That's the genius of the whole thing. You're too invested, right? This is your resume. You're never going to like go flush that and start over. And so if you can get a LinkedIn subscriber to your newsletter, you're sort of hooked into that person, even if they sort of move around. So super valuable, relatively easy to just sort of replicate your email newsletter content into the LinkedIn platform. They've repurposed the LinkedIn Pulse publishing interface, which actually is pretty good, pretty intuitive. I think, you know, almost anyone can make their way through it and produce something that is pretty decent. Lastly, like it does the hard part for you, which is it notifies people when you publish a new newsletter (laughs) and probably a topic for a a separate day, but just everyone's inbox is so inundated Mm -hmm. that you just kind of don't look directly at it because it's too daunting. And so having a push notification, a LinkedIn notification about this newsletter is a little bit more of a way to sort of sneak under the defenses and actually get that content in front of the people who subscribed didn't know about that, about LinkedIn newsletters from your company page. So, and I love that specifically for us because we, you know, our main audience are SaaS marketers and boy, that is just a very short tenure job. So being able to to stick with the, the person is very interesting for me personally. That's been our, our premise on social the whole time. Honestly, it was one of the things that sort of clicked for us with social and B2B was that B2B is like, you, then you cast your line in, you catch a prospect, you put them on your list, and it's basically an email. I mean, and that's all the way down to, you know, a CRM. The email is the unique field, but we are not one email. <laughs> you know, in fact, we moved multiple emails. We moved through multiple companies. And so you just end up with this thing that you catch and release, catch and release. Well, Carrie, is there anything that we didn't tackle today? Any theories, predictions, platforms that we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we talk about today? I think one of the areas that is, you know, and we touched on it a little bit with the video content, just, you know, the sidecar or the sort of parallel track to social media has been the rise of content marketing, all of that, you know, there's been kind of a whole era here, we'll call it the inbound zero interest, whatever parameter it is that you sort of see bookending it. You know, this last 10 years, we're now really getting a pretty good sense that that is a chapter that we're moving on from. And so, like I said, if you've been around the block and you were here before 10 years ago, you might recognize some of these signs. And so I think, you know, we're really seeing a couple things. I'm seeing a shift from focusing on brand awareness 
and moving over to really just go to market. And I think there's a temptation there to say that that means double and triple down on demand gen, more webinars, more eBooks, more white papers. But I think you can't ignore the fact that stuff just isn't working anymore. We're one click past diminishing returns. Like the, the returns are starting to diminish very rapidly. I think that there's a real full scale rethink about what do we want these channels to do for our business these days? The tendency will be to think, let's buy our way to a good quarter by doing paid, by doing more demand gen. But the things that we see actually drive engagement and that engagement driving future views of your content are things related to your employees. So whether it's employee anniversaries or it's your team out at an event, having a good time, having conversations with customers, sharing subject matter expertise, answering questions. Those things are both aligned to go to market. They're aligned to brand building. They're good for social. So they have some legs and they get you out of the trap of just thinking like one more webinar is going to be the answer to your problems. It is not. I'm sorry to report. It's not going to be the answer to your problem. Think about redirecting some of that energy out of, you know, another blog post. Certainly if you're still doing sort of SEO blog posts, you've got to cover some bases, but then you've got to move on to a different kind of strategy here because we're just going to see the twin factors of AI blowing out general information content to a point where it just is not going to matter. And then these new social platforms where you really are going to have to live or die based on whether or not people like your content, right. not whether they followed you two years ago or, you know, whether they work for you and have to, to see it in their feed. It's going to get harder to earn attention. It's going to get harder and more expensive to acquire customers. And so we should not be in the mode of narrowing our channels, thinking about how to put more effort behind a thing that is deteriorating. You want to start to have a more expansive view and think about what is the overall story we're trying to tell to the market? What do we want people to do when they see us? How do we want to show up for our customers? Which is all, you know, pretty basic marketing 101. Harry, this has been... A great conversation. I learned some things. So hopefully uh, those of you listening uh, took a couple things away as well. As I end every episode, I ask all of our guests if they have a favorite or signature toast to send us out. <laughs> I don't know that I do. So I will just say uh, Laheim. Laheim. We actually haven't had that yet in three years. Thank you so much, Carrie. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Carrie for joining me on SAS Half Full. I learned some things. I also made a really big admittance that I had not joined Threads. You heard it here, but love that conversation. Hopefully you took a couple things away that you can immediately act on in your social media strategy. Always appreciate the listen. And until next time, bottoms up. <laughs>